Reading from the book of Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6. The book of Judges. Judges is after Joshua. We're ready? Judges chapter 6, from verse 1. The Bible said, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian for seven years. The Bible said, And the hand of the Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they will encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. Leave no sometimes for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they will come up with their livestock and their tents and come in as numerous as locusts both they and their camels were without number, and they will enter the land to destroy it. Verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Then the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the land, out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of Egyptians and out of the land, and of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Hophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about? Say, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us to the hands of the Midianites. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I now sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, as you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This evening I'm going to share with us in quick succession what I've titled The Bath of Kingdom's Champions. The Bath of Kingdom's Champions. It is critical to know 
that in Judges, the book of Judges, is a book that chronicles how Israel was closing up in getting up in possessing the land that had been promised to them by God through Abraham. We all remember the man of God called Moses. How while he was leaving, knowing that he would not be available, he would not be alive to divide the land to the people of Israel, handed over adequately to his successor by the name Joshua. Now, from the book of Judges, we notice that Joshua also had become an old man. Before this time, Joshua had succeeded in ensuring that a greater percentage of the people of Israel had received their inheritance as promised to them. But something came very clearly to me as I read through the entire book of Judges is the fact that as they were conquering and taking over the lands, there were certain tribes that never took the entire possession of their inheritance. They took partial possessions of their inheritance. And I observed that the reason was very simple. Many of them, the instruction that God gave to them was to go in and possess. They possessed halfway, they waited halfway. It was a serious scripture to me because it shows me and it's a display of what is going on in many of our lives as believers. That in entering into the rest of God and in the inheritance of God for our lives, many of us have settled for less than the ultimate of God. The intent of God for us after we have received the gift of salvation is that we go in and possess. Possession is a destiny for us. Possessing what God has originally ordained for us through the shedding of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But you see, I also observe that one of the reasons why these things happen to these men, the Bible tells us here in chapter 6, that Israel, those started well, did everything right, but Israel began to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord sent a prophet and said to the people of Israel, Because you have disobeyed my voice, therefore I will send you into the hand of the Midianites. They became subject, subjugated to, this, to, the, to, the, uh, to the Midianites. They became, you know, they became, they, they were serving the enemy when they were not supposed to. You know, it occurred to me that disobedience is a critical point in the life of a believer. And I'm going to let us know tonight that disobedience is selling yourself short than you really worth. I'm going to say it again. Disobedience is selling yourself short than you really worth. Israel had no business being subjugated to the imperialistic rule of the Midianites. They had no business being submissive to the authority and the oppression and the intimidation of the Amalekites and the rest of the East. There was no reason for it. Israel had a mandate from God to possess and to live in freedom. But Israel submitted their freedom through disobedience. So that's why I believe each time we walk in disobedience as believers, we are selling ourselves short. 
Number two, disobedience exposes us to demonic infiltration. It is important to know that each time as believers, if we're walking in obedience with God, you are insulated, you're covered, you're defended, you're protected, you're secured. It's unlike God to open you up to an attack of the enemy when you're walking in obedience. Obedience is one-way security that it gives us a comprehensive insurance policy from the hands of the enemy. Our insurance through the blood of Jesus is comprehensive. It's left nothing out, including ourselves, our children, our families. We have been properly provided for. Jesus paid it all. Before he left, he said, it is finished. But disobedience exposes us to a demonic interference, demonic infiltration. We remember what was said by Jesus in the book of Matthew. It says, when the spirit leaves a man, it goes away. Now, that spirit is not going forever. He's coming back to check his initial abode and check if the place is clean and garnished. Jesus said, if the place is clean and nothing occupies, what does he do? He goes back, hires several more stronger spirit than himself and come and endure that person. And the end of that man is worse than the beginning. So disobedience opens us up to the attack of the enemy. Each time Israel lost a battle, it was because of disobedience. Do we remember the days of Eli? When the ark of God was in the midst of God's people, there was no nation that could stand against Israel. Israel was a formidable nation. Israel was protected on all sides. They didn't need to carry any weapon. God's glory was a security over Israel. In fact, it was recorded in the book of Ezekiel. You will see that when the glory shows up, there is no nation that could stand against Israel. No nation. Because the glory was a covering for them. The same way I believe today as believers, the glory of God is a covering over our lives. When we disobey God, we open up and we cause the glory to take, you know, to move away from our lives, then the enemy is able to attack us. Disobedience, I believe the first seed, study in the book of Judges. I want us to really listen to this. The first seed of disobedience is compromise. That's the first seed. How does disobedience begin? Compromise. It begins by saying, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, we can really make do with this. That's how it begins. Israel, if you study the book of Judges very well, one of the key factors you saw in, that I saw in this scripture was compromise. A little here, a little there. A little, you know, it doesn't really, you know, it, it wouldn't really make any major difference. It does make a major difference to us as believers when we begin to break boundaries. Your life as a believer is a life with boundaries. We cannot afford to live without boundaries. Boundaries necessarily will not ostracize you. That is a mistake many make. That when I live a life when there are boundaries around me, many are not going to relate to me. That's not true. When you raise your standard high, men and women will respect you. Boundaries create a protection and a security for you today and also for your future. Do you know what I noticed in this scripture? The people who left Egypt who actually initially shared the land. Many of them had died. But you know what? Because they refused to push back the frontiers of the enemy, their children paid for it. I'll say it again. Many of these men, because they compromised 
and allowed many of these nations to remain in the land, they died, but their children were paying for it. Do you know what happened? One of them, one of the, one of the tribes of Israel, in fact, the tribe of Dan, I think, it was the Amorite. The Amorite actually literally you know, pushed them away from the valley and sent them to the mountain. Literally. And that leads me to something. When you give the enemy a foothold, he's going to turn it into a stronghold. That's the part of disobedience. When we give the enemy a what? A foothold, it turns it around into what? Into a stronghold. It started little. They just said, oh, let's just allow them. It doesn't really matter. They won't matter. But they mattered later. Israel was able to regain the land when they grew in number. When their children grew in number, they saw the history. They said, no, it is not right for these people to oppress us. And that's when they took the land back. What am I saying? Let us not allow the enemy to take a foothold. A foothold will always turn into a stronghold. The scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 5 verse 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Have you read that scripture before? A little leaven, Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. What does it mean? A little yeast. A little yeast will affect the entire bread. We remember that in the land of Israel, from traditionally God never allowed them to eat living bread. God gave them the commandment that they should eat on living bread. On living bread... In fact, one of the scriptures, I think it's Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says, in seven days, you shall eat unleavened bread. It says, on the first day, you shall remove the leaven from your house. From first day to seventh day, whoever eats a leavened bread will be cut off. Do we hear it? Whoever eats a what? A leavened bread will be cut off. In other words, make sure that you have unleavened bread to eat. And God deliberately gave that instruction to them because God was, God was speaking in a parable to them. Hallelujah. God was speaking in what? In a parable. In other words, a little compromise here, a little compromise here creates a major crisis in people's lives. Number four. Uh, another scripture in, in Matthew chapter 16. Let's see what the scripture says there. In Matthew 16 verse 6, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do we remember that? Matthew chapter 16 verse 6. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What was it talking about? It was talking about the, the infiltration of the spirit of religion. That the Pharisees and the Sadducees will clean the outside part of the cup, but leave the inside dory. In other words... They appear to people to be pious and holy and untouchable, but inside them were dead men's tomb, the scripture says. In other words, they were worse off inside. They were nothing inside. They go out with long flatteries, telling people how great they were. They would not touch any unclean thing. They would not talk to anyone. They would, they would bend their heads, go back into the house, living in hypocrisy. And Jesus said, you cannot afford it as a believer to do what? To allow the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Critical word. Now, how do we define the leavenant? When the Bible talks about, you know, the leaven. I love Paul the Apostle. He was able to explain in detail to us. I saw this while I was studying. That we really can understand what a leaven means. By the time we read 
what Paul said. He was able to expand more about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's see what 11 is. What a compromise means. How does it happen? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's see in verse 6. Are we ready? This was when Paul the Apostle was instructing the church at Corinth on what was supposed to be right, what was not supposed to be allowed in the church of God. Let's read in verse 6. Are we ready? Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Verse 7. Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And since you are truly unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So it occurred to me that believers, we are unleavened people. Hallelujah. When people come to you, you can tell them, well, you don't want to do this, you want to go to party with us, you want to, well, I'm an unleavened man. Unleavened. I do not do that because I'm an unleavened man. I'm God's cake. God desires me. I'm God's friend. God loves me. Therefore, this cannot be allowable by my father. So I'm not doing it because it's against his will. We're unleavened people. This is what it says in verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Not with old leaven. In other words, the feast of God, not with the whole leaven. Nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Do we see that? Paul is saying malice is a what? Is, malice is a leaven. Wickedness is a leaven. He says not the, malice, the, the, the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread. What is unleavened? Scripture tells us here, sincerity and truth is the unleavened. In other words, God's divine plan for us as believers is that we live in sincerity and we live in truth. Because then we are unleavened people. Praise God forevermore. The last one on the issue of disobedience. Disobedience mets our trust in God. Disobedience will met your trust in God and his security. Here we read in Judges chapter 6, the people began to hide in caves and in dens and in strongholds. You know why? Because they left the place of their security. Now they were looking for security in other places in caves, right? In dens and in strongholds. But really, God wants to be the stronghold of his people. The Bible says the Lord is our stronghold. Turn ye now, you prisoners of hope. You know, turn to the, turn to the stronghold. God wants to be our strongholds. Now, the next thing I saw in this book of Judges is that I saw the nature of the enemy. I want us to see that before we study the champion today. The nature of what? The nature of the enemy that we face. What nature do I see here? Judges chapter 6. Let's read together again. From verses 2 through to 6, it's a picture of what the enemy does in people's lives. You know what I saw? The first thing that I saw here? Number one, the nature of the enemy. Number one, the enemy will always go for the jugular. Did we hear that? The enemy will always go for what? The jugular. That's what it goes for. The enemy knows where it pinches. 
The devil will not attack what will not touch you. The devil, go, the devil goes for the jugular. He goes for the real thing. You know what it does here? The Bible says that their enemy usually wait. The enemy will not attack when the people are laboring, when they are sweating in the farm, when they are getting the crops ready. No, it wouldn't show up. The enemy waits patiently for the time of the harvest. The Bible says, when what they have sown grows, he says, whenever Israel had sown, the enemy will come. They come at the right time. After what has been sown, they will never allow the people to harvest a good crop. That's what the enemy does. The enemy waits. When you're sweating, laboring, it wouldn't show up. When it is the right time, when it hurts most, that's what the enemy goes for. And I have seen this many times in our lives as believers. That our lives, the enemy only shows up during harvest of our lives. The enemy wouldn't bother Israel during hard labor, sweat and pain. But when it is time to reap, when it's time for God to move in the lives of the people, that's when the enemy shows up. Number two, I also saw that the enemy usually will always have accomplices. When the enemy attacks, he does not attack alone. Do we see what he said there? The Midianites will come with their Amalekites. They will come with all the rest of the people of the East. The enemy goes for accomplices. It goes for others. That's why Jesus tells us that that spirit goes back to get more what? Seven stronger spirits. I want you to know that in the realm of the spirit, there are alliances. There are what? Alliances. That is why it's so, it's so unfortunate that in the body of Christ, we cannot have alliance, positive alliance, to create the good. The enemy creates a negative, wicked alliances all over the scriptures. Here we saw they gather themselves together against Israel. Do we remember the book, of, the book of Joshua? There were five kings of Amorite who stood against Joshua alone. Five kings of Amorite with their warriors, with their armies, with their chariots. What did they want to do? They wanted to rout Israel. And I see that every day. That in our lives, by the time you think you're getting out of one battle, another one shows up. Have you noticed that? Another one shows up. Another one shows up. In fact, sometimes, many people have said, why me? Because it's as if you are, you are you're under a siege. And there are times when believers come under a siege of the enemy. And we must understand the pattern and the nature of the enemy. It comes with fury. It comes reckless. It comes with a bloodshot heart. That's how the enemy comes. Number three. The aim of the enemy is spread out in this scripture. Number one, to spoil. Ever say to spoil. In Exodus chapter 15, the Bible says, you know, I will pursue. That's the enemy talking. I will overtake. I will have my will done upon them. I will spoil and I will destroy them. That's the thought of the enemy. That's Exodus chapter 15. That is what the enemy does every time the intent of the enemy is to spoil. What does it mean to spoil? Yes? What does it mean to spoil? In other words, there have been something good existing. Now is to create a decay over what has been. We must understand those words. In other words, when you have a viral garden, watch over your garden. Because the enemy will intend to come and cause a decay over what has been there. That's a spoil. It's to cause what has been very attractive to make it unattractive. I have seen many lives, attractive lives, but because the enemy penetrated, they became unattractive. Nobody wants to associate with them again. 
And that's why I believe what somebody says said, you know, that failure is an orphan. Nobody wants to relate with failure. Do we believe it? Failure is a what? It's an orphan. So, number one, it comes to spoil. Number two, it comes to impoverish. To impoverish means to create lack, to create a lack of substance in a place. In other words, it looks as if there is life, but really it is deadness. That's one of the things Jesus warned Peter about in the book of Luke 22, verse 32. He says, Simon, Simon, the enemy has come to destroy you, but I have prayed to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So that when you are converted, you will strengthen your brethren. The enemy has come to do what? To sift you as wheat. That is impoverish. To impoverish a man's life. Number the last one, Jesus told us this in John chapter 10 verse 10. Jesus said, the thief cometh not, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Do we know the last thing we saw here? The impoverished Israel, when they impoverished them, they also come with their chariots and all their horses, and they destroy everything they have. That's the nature of the enemy. We must know the enemy that we fight. You know, there are two extremes today. Some people believe, eh, well, you know, we talk too much about the devil. That's one extreme. We must be careful that we do not undermine, underrate the enemy that we face. We cannot afford it. Number two, that other, the other extreme is the overly caught up in the issue of the enemy. That's the other extreme. But the truth about the matter is the Christian life is a battle. The race we fight, the race we're in, it's a serious race. We cannot afford to be jelly babies. We cannot afford to take things for granted in the kingdom because the battle we face is a serious battle. Now, let me quickly go to uh, what I have to share with us on the bath of kingdom's champion. In this scripture, we've seen, like, that's why it took my time to go through some of these hordes for us to understand that what we, the conclusion that I came to in this chapter 6 from verse chapter 1 to this point, is that there was crisis. Is that not true? There was what? Crisis. I want to say to us tonight, crisis can be good. Crisis, I believe, is generally what we do not choose. I mean, also, we don't choose crisis. Nobody will go for crisis. There's crisis there. <laughs> That's where I want to go. Nobody chooses crisis. We do not choose. Crises are what we try to avoid. Number three, crises are, are things we never wished for. Is that true? We do not choose it. We try to avoid it. We never wish it. However, crises could as well be a womb that produces God's champions and giants. Crisis could as well be a what? The womb that produces God's champion and giants. I have seen, and for many of us who have studied life, you will have seen that crisis usually produce the bad and the good. Crisis creates the pain and the path. Do we know the pain, the hand of pain may create a path? 
I noticed that crisis creates pressure and prodding. I'm going to explain myself. Crisis creates what? Pressure. When pressure comes, it prods you. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. There are people who would have done nothing except that crisis came. I'll give us an example in the scripture. Do we remember Barak and Deborah? The story of Barak? Barak was an army general. He wasn't going to do anything. But when crisis hit, he was forced to come out of his comfort zone. And many people are like that. Crisis brings the best out of you. It's, it's almost unbelievable. Somebody describes it and said, crisis is like having, he said, you know, you never know that it's like a tea bag. What brings the best out of a tea bag is hot water. It's when you throw the tea bag in the hot water that you see the best of it. That what brings the best out of many of us is crisis. That many of us will become, you know, become mediocres without what? Without crisis. And if that is true, crisis produces victims and victors. So when we see victims in crisis, let's look on the other side. On the flip side, there is victory coming on the other side. And that brings me to the point by saying crisis is pivotal to major changes. I'll say it again. Crisis is what? Pivotal to major changes. Both at our individual life and also at a corporate level. Crisis could be pivotal to major changes. How many of us know that most nations experience great change after Great Depression? This nation went through Great Depression. What has made the United States what it is today came after the Great Depression. Is that correct, everybody? Great Depression, you know what Great Depression does? Crisis does. I studied and I found out that the aftermath of Great Depression and Great Crisis usually lead to innovations. I'm telling you, you become innovative. Crisis, in the time of crisis, ideas are generated. And most nations, one of us can read the story of Japan. Japan could have been totally ruined, but after the World War II, Japan ceased to be the same nation. The people became aggressive, they became focused, they became diligent, the entire nation was changed. You need to go to Japan today. So many transformations is going on because of innovation. Why? Crisis. And the last I'm going to talk about to the great leaders and champions also emerge out of crisis. How many of us know that Joseph was a product of crisis? Joseph has a dream. His dream led him into crisis. His brother sold him, sent him to the out of Potiphar. That was another crisis. He was sent out of the place into prison. In the prison, that was another crisis that sent him out. It was from one crisis to the other. From one crisis to the other. You know, sometimes when we're going through crisis, we need to be careful. I'm just pray, Lord, Lord, take me through it. Somebody said, a songwriter says, when you're going through hell, don't stop. That's all you could do. Don't what? Don't stop. Just go through it. Because the truth about the matter is, all of us are going to go through storm in life. That's why I wanted us to sing that song. But Jesus remains a shelter in the time of storm. Great leaders and champions usually emerge out of crisis. Joseph was one of them. He went through a precarious period in Egypt. But God gave him victory on the other side. David was a man in Israel who faced, Israel faced a daunting challenge of Goliath. But David emerged a champion as a result of that crisis. All of us studied that last week. We remember David, the entire Israel was in the cave for how many days? 40 days they could not challenge Goliath. 
But that Christ gave birth to the greatest king Israel ever produced. The greatest king Israel ever produced, David. It was a product of Christ. And tonight, we're beginning to see the path of another champion of God. Came out of the crisis. Came out of difficult circumstances. Let's quickly study a couple of characteristics about this man, Gideon. Gideon was a product of crisis. The land was in crisis. There was, there was turmoil. They were afraid of the Midianites. And there comes a man that God had already ordained, prepared for, from the foundation of the world. In, in Judges chapter 6, the Bible says in verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebin tree, which was in opera, which belonged to Joash the Abesrite, while his son Gideon threshed the wheat in winepress in order to hide it from the Midianite. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I believe that champions are made by God. And I believe that champions are a product of crisis. Because crisis creates a vacuum. And vacuums are filled by leaders who knows their owners. Who knows what God has imputed into them. You know, in the life of Gideon, I believe it was a day that started like any other day. But that day became a turning point because God stepped out of eternity into time. In the life of every champion, there is a time in your life when God steps out. When God steps into your life, it creates a turning point, a watershed in your life. It starts like any other day, but it does not end up like any other day. In every champion's life, a day starts like every other day, but does not end that way. Do we remember Joseph? Just slept like a young boy. But that night, he had a dream that was the key to his life. Key, not just to his life. Do we understand that the dream that Joseph had was not about him? There are many things that are going on in your life. It's not about you. Many of us need to realize that it's not all about you. The dream that Joseph had, it was about the preservation of God's covenant. How many of us know what I'm talking about? The people could have died in famine or they could have been totally destroyed in Egypt. But for a man, Psalm 105, I sent a man before them. He was chained. They sold him into slavery. But I sent him ahead for him to prepare the way for them. They never knew that the man that they threw into the well was the key to their survival. God, all the time, sends a man but the man is not all about him. This man lived and died. But you know what? It was God preparing a place for Israel as a nation. It was not all about him. Number two. Sorry, before getting to that, I have a few things to mention to us about people who start a day like any other day, but never ended the same way. Do you remember Cornelius in Acts of the Apostles chapter 10? This man had been giving and giving and giving hands and was generous to her. But one day came in the life of Cornelius. The scripture says it this way. I'm going to read it for us to hear it. Acts of the Apostles chapter 10 in verse 1. The Bible says like this. It says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called a Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms and generalities to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, 
he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. When he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is the Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your hymns have come up for a memorial before God. It wasn't just, it was just one of those days that he saw a vision. And that vision led to the salvation of the entire family together with all of his servants. It led to his eternity being secured in Christ. Just one day. Do we remember Luke chapter 1? The man called Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest of God. He was already an old man. He was barren. The wife couldn't bear him a child. But this man had served faithfully. In fact, the Bible records it that they were both faithful, the husband and the wife, but they had advanced in age. This man, as usual, as business as usual, was, in the, was performing the ritual of a priest. And there comes the angel of the Lord. My question is, why did the Lord wait that long? There's always a day. You never know. There's always a day that leads that leaves your life in a position of permanent change. I saw in the life of Moses. Moses left Egypt. He ran away because of what he did to an Egyptian. You remember the story? He left and ran from the so they wouldn't be killed. He went into the wilderness and he's been serving, you know, his father-in-law had always been taking care of the sheep. But one day, at about 40 years, you never know when God visits. God never gives you a schedule. One day, this man was tending the sheep of his father-in-law and there was a bunny bush. The bush was bunny, but it was not consumed. It was a fiery it was a dangerous sight. It was an uncommon sight. He saw it, and their voice came out of the out of the fire and said, "The ground in which you stand is a holy ground. Take off your sandals." And that experience of that day, Moses never remained the same. That experience led Moses out of the wilderness, led him to Egypt, led him to face his brother, Aaron, and that was what led to the release of the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. What am I saying tonight? There's always a day. Something in the life of a champion. God will always visit. I also saw in the life of Nathaniel. We read that in the book, in the Bible study on, on, on Thursday. In John chapter 1, the Bible speaks that Nathaniel was under the tree when Philip went to call him. But Jesus saw him and said, ah, I'd already seen you before Philip got to you. And Jesus said, indeed, you are, you are, you are an Hebrew indeed. Because he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus said, you're an, you're an Hebrew indeed, in whom there is no guy. But that day was a specific day of visitation in his life. Do you remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector who had lived his life in all sorts of, you know, drudgery and all sorts of corruption. But one day, the Bible says he went out to see Jesus. You don't go out to see Jesus and remain the same. By the time he came back, Jesus saw him under the sycamore and said, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come into you. Today! Today! That's why when somebody hears the word of salvation, don't postpone it. Because you never know. There may never be another opportunity again. There's always a day. Number two, from the life of this man, Gideon was threshing the wheat in the wine press. Isn't that amazing? He was doing the wrong thing at the right place. He was doing the, the right thing in the wrong place. 
He was threshing the wheat in the wine press. In the wine press, what you do is to make wine. They, they process wine in the wine press. But you see, there were no grapes because the Midianite had come and they have destroyed all the fruit, so there were no grapes. So Gideon took the, the, the wheat and began to fling it, flail it, you know, in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. And I saw a principle here. It is not just what he was doing there. It is the fact that God saw his heart. You know, there are many things, many times in our lives when we're doing things that we thought is not important. And that leads me to this. God's champions usually emerge in various ways. Don't ever condition what God can do with your life. Do we know that people that God had used, they were never the people that many of us thought about. Peter was a timid man and Jesus was interested in him. Is that not true? He was timid, yet God was interested in him. Jeremiah said, I'm a child. God said, yeah, I understand that, but I still need you. Moses came to God and said, I stutter. I don't speak too well. Yeah, I know that, but that's why I need you. So God's champions usually come in various ways. God went right there in the wine press to fetch Gideon out. And that's why we need to be careful in our lives that God's champion usually emerge from places we never expected. It's going to limit to the next point. Faithfulness in ordinary things could be the key to God's visitation in your life. I'm going to say it again. Faithfulness to what? In ordinary things. Ordinary things, number three. God's champion are champion in ordinary things. Many people wait until they do something flamboyant in the kingdom. Don't wait for it. Whatever your hands finds to do, the scripture says, do it with all of your might. Do we remember when God, when, when God was going to visit David? David was faithful as a shepherd boy. I'm going to let us read that, if nothing at all. Psalm 78, verse 70. I want everyone to see that scripture. It's an interesting scripture. It's a scripture that I really want to pay attention to. Psalm 78, verse 70. What does the scripture say? Are we there? Psalm 78, verse 70. Hallelujah. The Bible says in verse 7, he also chose David his servant. He took him from where? From sheepfold. That doesn't look like a king, does it? That doesn't look like a leader, does it? That doesn't look like a king of Israel. He took him from the sheepfold, from following the hues that had young, he brought, had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel is inheritance. So God was looking for a shepherd to shepherd his people, and he found David. Right to the sheepfold, from unlikely places. Jesus' parable is interesting. He that is faithful in little shall be Lord of all. Are you faithful in unrighteous mama? The Bible says, He who is not faithful in unrighteous, we will commit to him through riches. Is that not what Jesus said? He also said, If a man is not faithful in another man's, who will give him his own? Is that not what he said? Unlikely places, ordinary things. Today, great things don't come out of great places. It comes out of ordinary places. Nobody ever knows what God will do through your life. Some of us, we only sweep. But you know God is watching. Your faithfulness at sweeping. Your faithfulness at lifting speakers. God is watching. Faithfulness in ordinary things. That's how God promotes people. The last I'm going to say about this tonight, and we're going to pray. Champions are readers. Champions are what? If you read from these judges, the Bible says 
the response of Gideon is very interesting. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why is it that all, all this has happened to us? Where are all his miracles that our fathers told us about? Verse 13. Where are all the miracles? Where did he get that information from? Church, where did he get information? From where? From reading. From studying. No mediocre can amount to much in the kingdom. No. No mediocre will be able to go far. The Bible talks about the deception and the last the deception will be on the rampage. But we need to know the will of God. We need to be men and women who pay attention to the counsel of God. The propelling force is knowing what he has done in the past and what he can do again. How do you believe God for what he can do when you don't know what he has done before? It's impossible. Our belief, our faith is resting on what a reference point before we can launch into the future. Knowing what he has done becomes a beachhead. Ever say beachhead? Every battle, you launch your greatest weapon from a beachhead. And God wants us to know as believers, we need to have a beachhead. If God is working in our lives, and I believe God wants to raise champions among us. God wants to raise champions. Don't think of books you haven't read. How about the books of the Bible? How about the Old Testament? There are books that are only two chapters. In fact, there are books that are only one. Philemon is just one chapter. Jude is just one chapter. There are books that are just one chapter. We can make up our mind and say, oh God, I'm dedicating this week. I'm studying the epistles. I'm studying the, I'm studying the book of Amos. I'm studying the book. Those are opportunities that will help us to grow as believers. May the Lord bless us. I'm going to continue from here. God's champion. The bath of God's champion. My prayer is that after this series, champions will imagine armies. You know what? Champions will imagine armies. That we will go in our respective grace of God and begin to do what God has called us to do. But don't let us forget. Let's walk in obedience with him. Let's rise up to pray tonight. Hallelujah to you, Lord Jesus. Crisis makes champions. Crisis makes leaders. Crisis creates leaders. I want us to pray tonight and say, Lord, difficult time. You do not know a man until he goes through difficult times. Is that not true? If you have a spine, a steel spine, or a spaghetti spine, we will know when the crisis comes. All of us know spaghetti. A spaghetti spine. <laughs> And a steel spine. What happened to steel? Steel don't bend. But it's spaghetti. It goes in every direction. Let's pray tonight. And say, Lord, I yield my life to you. This one life to live, let me live to your glory. Lord, let me recognize the time of my visitation. What you're doing in my life, my season, the time of my visitation. Amos, the man of God. Amos was a shepherd boy at Tekoa. The Bible said while he was going among the shepherds, he saw a vision of Israel. He was among the shepherds when he saw the vision of God. Who knows when you're in your office doing normal, normal chores in the office, typing and, and, and doing the clerk job that we do. Some of us are writing, some of us are teachers teaching, some of us are bankers doing our writing. That's when God says, I need you now. I want to show you what is in the future. God's champions are made out of crisis. Lord, work in our hearts today.
Work in our hearts that your name may be glorified, our Father. Building us a solid treasure that will last days and years to come. Help us to recognize the manifestation of the works of the enemy in our lives. The nature of the enemy. In any way in our lives where we have been compromised, Lord, deliver us from the spirit of compromise. Set us free. Give us the will, the strength, the ability to stand in an evil day. Lord, having done all, the Bible says to stand. Help us to stand as your people. Stand therefore. Stand therefore. Let's receive grace to stand at God's army. To stand in the vicissitudes of life. To stand strong. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you praise and honor today. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Amen. Father, tonight, we're living in a age when everything they do, everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes, as it was in the days of these judges. But Lord, tonight, we have not been called to compromise. We have been called to stand strong for you. Stand to declare your glory for our generation. We receive grace tonight, our Father, that in all things you may be glorified in our lives. Lord, wherever we have been walking in obedience, calling things short in our lives, not allowing you to have a free flow in our lives, Lord, we ask for forgiveness tonight that you will cleanse our hearts. Lord, help us to recognize the nature of the enemy. The enemy does not play with anyone. He's ruthless. He's a ruffian. He spoils. He impoverishes. He destroys as we is. And help us, Lord, to recognize that this time of crisis all around the world is a time for the champions of God to emerge. Emerge as missionaries. Emerge as the voice of God in our days. Not with titles, but with the voice of him crying in the wilderness, saying, this is the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, give us a voice. Help us that our voices will be relevant in the realm of the spirit. We'll give you praise tonight. We proclaim that your glory will shine forth in our families. Out of our families will come champions for the kingdom of God. Our children will come out as champions of the Lord. Lord, our spouses will come out as champions of God. Our families will be an enviable family for others to see. We'll give you glory tonight. In Jesus' name we pray.